Welcome to the Collections by Michelle Brown Show, a show about people living between the lines, standing boldly in the crosshairs of their intersectionality as they create change. This episode is brought to you in partnership with the Center for Peace Counseling and Holistic Healing Services. Welcome to Collections by Michelle Brown. I'm your host, Michelle Brown. Each week, we'll be talking with people living between the lines, standing boldly in the crosshairs of their intersectionality, and creating change. Today, I'm joined by Karen Kendra Holmes. A resident of Maryland, Karen works for the federal government as a safety officer. She's a volunteer member of a Maryland Defense Force. This volunteer military organization supports the Maryland National Guard and is designed to augment the National Guard during stateside emergencies. In 2012, she received Soldier of the Year Award from the Maryland State Guard Association and the Maryland Defense Force. In 2013, out of 24 states and 23,000 soldiers, she was named the Soldier of the Year by the State Guard Association of the United States. Since 2010, she has received multiple awards for community service, including the Willis Green Community Service Award in 2014. The award is named after a man who gave back tirelessly to his community. This award is presented to individuals who personify this commitment by making significant contributions to community service. Karen Kendra Holmes is a transgender woman. In her mother's words, the picture on the cover of a book may have changed, but the story hasn't. Community service has always been important in Karen's life. Before her transition, she had received several awards for community service, including her first Willis Green Award in 2003. An advocate for transgender rights, she's a TEDx speaker. In 2017, she was selected in the LGBTQ Nation by Larico Report as one of the top 50 successful transgender Americans you should know. In 2018, she was selected by Capital Pride for the Heroes Gala Awards as the Engendered Spirit Award winner. Karen has much to share with the transgender and LGBTQ communities. She believes together we can help quiet the turmoil within that suggests we're different. She says we're not different and we need to continuously express who we are and how we are more alike than not. Karen, welcome to Collections by Michelle Brown. How are you today? Okay. I'm doing great, Michelle, and thank you for having me on your show. I'm telling you, I mean, community service is in your DNA. I mean, you have done a lot of things besides working, you know, and working (laughs) and doing it. I mean, even from like way back in the day, was that something that your family instilled in you? 
Uh, no, not at all. Uh, when I was uh, my prior self as Tony, um, I started doing uh, volunteer work with cystic fibrosis, and I don't have any family member or knew of anybody who had cystic fibrosis. I just went out there and started volunteering, and it just got instilled into me uh, to serve that way. So I had been doing that for a few years, and then later um, just ventured into doing a lot more for community service work. So that's been mm. awesome ever since. Mm-hmm. So. You know, I, I like I, – I, it was interesting to listen to how you talked about how, you know, you would – be Tony, then you would, mm-hmm. you know, buy your clothes, then you throw away the clothes, then you buy the clothes. And, you know, <laughs> it was like something that you were just like dealing with and, and the part where one day you just went to a cliff and threw them all off the cliff. But then right. you came back to me because Karen is who you were. And how exactly. you said how when you were talking to your mother, she said if she had had a daughter, the name she had picked was Karen. So it really was, you know, it was like you could throw all the clothes you want off the cliff, but you <laughs> were Karen. Yeah? Yes. And I just couldn't get rid of who was deep down inside of me thinking I was killing her, and it, it was not happening, you know, um, because Karen wanted to live. So uh, mm. when I, trans, you know, eventually down the road when I went to a conference in Philadelphia called the Philadelphia Trans health conference, um, that's where I realized who I really was deep down inside. So I was fighting it for years, and I went, wow, this is who I really am. So um, I came back gun-ho, fired up, ready to uh, transition on the job after talking with a coworker who also happens to be an attorney at the agency, and she got the ball rolling. She's, she's really my lifeline to who mm-hmm. I am today to get things started. When you were 13 and you, and you were, you know, I mean, living your stealth existence, I mean, which is everything, how you talk about how you would feel, be feeling comfortable and being caring, but you were still watching the clock to see who's going to come home and, you know, mm-hmm. and, and, and doing all the things that one would think a, a boy would be. You were a star athlete. Did you know of other people who were transgender or, or did you feel like really – alone, like, am I the only person like this? Well, I really didn't know anything about um, transgender people uh, when I was dressing for years. I just thought I was this term back then as a cross-dresser, and that's the only thing I really knew. So uh, when I met other people online, they, I thought that they were in the same shoes as I was, just a basic cross-dresser. There might have been some other girls that were uh, transgender but um, I never really knew the term until uh, uh, June of 2010 when I went to the conference up in Philadelphia. Mm-hmm. And you said being at that conference and seeing families, people who had families who accept him, also gave you the, the strength to go home and sort of tell your family. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was um, to see the kids that were five, six, and seven years old um, just having a really good time at that conference and their parents were supporting them. I'm like, wow, you know, this is pretty cool. But I didn't, still didn't put the connections together until uh, I went to a few of the workshops where I got to meet some of the older uh, transgender people who were telling their stories. And I said, 
oh, that's me. <laughs> I can't believe this is who I really am after all these years fighting back and forth uh, with dressing and throwing away clothes and just really asking God, like, what's happening? And please show me. And going to this conference, he, I learned who I really was. You know, what I, what I loved, you know, there are a couple things that I loved, but one of the things that I loved was when your dad said, you're not going to change your last name. Because, like, to me, <laughs> that was him saying, you're my child, but also this is your family. You know, we want to make sure mm-hmm. that you know, but this is your family. Yeah. Were you surprised every, by that question? I really was surprised uh, when he gave me the answer. Like he said, um, who am I to judge, you know? And, uh, mm. you know, and when he got to that one question, finally, when I asked him after 20 minutes of just talking to him, he uh, asked me that question. He says, you know, are you going to keep your last name? And I said, yeah. And he said, okay. Like it was no big deal. And I'm like, mm-hmm. wow, that was pretty uh, easy for me because I'm thinking because, you know, here I was his son to, you know, a father and being in a black family, I thought that this was going to be an issue for him, and it really wasn't at all. So, uh, you know, when I go see him, uh, he sends me Christmas cards, birthday cards, and mm. right on the top cover, it says to my my daughter, you know, and mm. the cards are just so beautiful. And, you know, obviously he sends me money still in the cards, but I'm like, this is seeing the cards makes me so much happier than having money. And I know how much he loves me and, and looking at, um, you know, me in the face, you know, when we're taking photos together. And it's the same way, like, with my mom um, and my brother. You know, they both, you know, accept me as well. And um, it's just a loving family. And like I said, I wish every uh, transgender person had that same luxury as I've had so far. I've just been really, truly blessed. Yeah, because I mean, like when I when you when I was listening to one of your your uh, videos and you said that, and like mm-hmm. to me, I mean, I just saw your dad, so like that's the line in the sand, and you know, like total acceptance, and I could also see where you know it was like that that line. I'm this is my daughter, and you know, mm-hmm. and that fierce fatherness, and I thought that was just like you know, I could have hugged him, <laughs> hugged him if I'd seen him. I was like, how <laughs> cool was that, you know? And then, right. I mean, when did, did you ever t- did you ever tell your mother about throwing the clothes off the off the off the cliff? You know how your struggle went through it even to that point. Uh, no, she did not know anything about. Well, she knew of my dressing and stuff uh, when I was young, uh, mm-hmm. but it's. I think she thought it was just some kind of fetish or whatever, or mm-hmm. whatever. I'm not really sure, but, you know, they sent me to see a psychiatrist. But to hear the real story was two weeks before I was actually going to transition on October 1st of 2010, and that's when I told the, the whole story, and including my name. And um, she just said that when she was pregnant, if she had a girl, she was going to name it Karen. And that's mm-hmm. some story that she's never told me before in my entire mm-hmm. life. It's just that I, I picked that name for myself, and it just fit for me. And I went, wow. And I just totally lost it that night, and I was in tears because I said, mm. this is who I really am. Wow. Uh, now, did, Karen, is that a family name, somebody in your family, or is it just a name that you resonated with? 
it was just a name I came up with, mm-hmm. <laughs> and mm-hmm. um, nobody else in my family has that name. It was funny, even um, my mom told me that when she didn't have a girl, she had, you know, obviously a boy, um, she actually gave that name to a very good friend of hers um, so she could use it for her daughter when she was born. And that's how it's kind of like, you know, really strange that, you know, here my mom didn't have a girl, but she gave it to somebody else. And I guess that connects some kind of way. Mm-hmm. That's great. I mean, that, that really is, I mean, that whole you know, it, it really does, like you said, it so like came together, and mm-hmm. it must get made you just feel like, you know, like you could exhale and then go ahead and continue with the, the path that you finally knew where you were headed, you know, like this is who right. I'm supposed to be. I don't have to buy a clothes and throw them away anymore. I am caring, <laughs> you know. Right. Yeah. As soon as I, uh, as soon as I uh, went full-time on October 1st of 2010, I left. Uh, the office, you know, and told, threw, threw everything away except for one outfit I had to wear back to work for a couple of hours um, just to tell my boss on October 4th. And um, that was, you know, when I got home later that morning, I just threw that last piece of clothes away and that was it for me. <laughs> mm-hmm. So. Mm-hmm. But, but it's been awesome just to be able to be my authentic self and and who I truly am. I mean, I was happy as Tony, but even when I look at my pictures back then, um, it's not the true happiness that came out of me now than when I went full-time on October 1st of 2010. Then Mm -hmm. I was like 150% happier. You can see when Mm -hmm. I take pictures, there's this brightness that just comes out of me that just uh, really fills the room and I've asked people who I've known before as Tony as well as Karen um, afterward, and I said, I never, um, you know, you've always met me before at one of my favorite restaurants, but they never really came, to, you know, up to talk to me and everything. Now when mm-hmm. I go to that restaurant, people who own the restaurant and their servers, they come up and give me hugs and kisses, and I'm like, What's the difference, you know? Mm-hmm. And they said, well, mm-hmm. we really, they said, we really like Karen. I'm like, really? It's, I'm the same person <laughs> except, you know, the outside. So it's really funny. So when you first won the Willis Green Community Service Award, what, mm-hmm. what had you done? What were they recognizing for what you had done? Um, pretty much all the, the service work that I was doing in the community, um, everything from cystic fibrosis to doing red. Uh, and I hadn't done Red Cross yet. It was just a lot of other local volunteer work because I didn't uh, join Red Cross until 2008. So, but the first Willis Green Community Service Award that I won as Tony was in 2003. And uh, the second time when I won it again, but this time as Karen, that was in mm-hmm. 2014, and it's so funny because a lot of my coworkers were coming up to me and saying, didn't you win that award before? And I said, no, it wasn't me. That was Tony. And this is mm. me now getting it. And people just like, they were like really amazed that I would come up with an answer like that. But that's truly how, who we are. You know, I was this one person before, but now I'm, this is who I am now. And I think that 
even though I, I also say, like, it's two spirits becoming one. Um, and I look at Tony's life that it's something that really resonated into who I am today. You know, Tony's gone but not forgotten. Yeah, because it's like, you know, you, you had that, you started doing that community service. But mm-hmm. now, you know, but you can do it as caring as your mm-hmm. full self, authentically. I mean, I can see where it just, like, blossoms, you know, where you're able to, to like, where you might be able to go in and talk to someone before. It's like at the restaurant, where now it's a different spirit that comes in that's coming in to, mm-hmm. to apply to that work. Um, right. Were, were you surprised when you won it the second time? Uh, no, because um, I had... It's, I feel like I've done a lot more than what Tony did back then. Mm-hmm. Um, and a lot of people saw that. A lot of people were putting me in for the award even before 2014. It's just that whoever was doing the review, they kept seeing, well, you know, Tony got it before and, uh, you know, not giving it to me. And to me, I look at it like uh, when I did volunteer work with the park police, in uh, Prince George's County, I had gotten as Tony two Commander's Awards and two Volunteer of the Year Awards. And I think, you know, when you win that first award, to me that shouldn't be the ending of all ends. It should motivate a person to continue and do more better service work. And that's that's how I did as far as winning the Willis Green Community Service Award. I didn't just want to stop at one. I wanted to keep going. It kept motivating me to to do a lot more for the community, and that's what I did. Well, I mean, when you stop and you look, because I know at one place you um you show, uh, like in a in your presentation, you have the awards that Tony won, and then mm-hmm. it's sort of like you went into like warp speed. I mean, because the ones that Karen <laughs> has done, it was like Karen was like, okay, that was just the warm up. Karen is right. here now. Watch out, world. <laughs> that's how it is because I uh, as Karen I've gotten more awards than Tony did and in a lot shorter time as well too mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. You know? mm-hmm. so like I said it just sent me sent me into like you said warp speed and I just want to keep going and keep going and just keep doing it because right now even more so I want to send a message out there to people who are not familiar or know the truth about people that are transgender. You know, we're doing great things out there, and I want to keep projecting that to everybody out there who don't know us, that we're doing Mm -hmm. good things out there. We've got people out there that are police officers, firefighters, uh, lawyers, uh, medics, uh, politicians now, we're doing great things out there, military of all things that, that um, somebody's trying to get rid of us. <laughs> mm-hmm. I mean, and, so. and it's a lot like what you said. You know, I mean, the person, and, and you know, anybody who has to live in a place. You know, I've talked to people like they said, oh, well, they went and they worked someplace, and that maybe they were the only black person there, and there was a part mm-hmm. of their personality that they hid. Well, you had something bigger that you know that you were trying to to hide. But really, mm-hmm. it was like you said, Karen was coming out. But, you know, just think of how more productive and a better person you are 
in the community. And, you know, and often when you hear people say, well, like, you know, they don't want lesbians or gays or transgender people around. Well, you know what? If we're out and we're living our authentic life, we're giving so much more back. Exactly. We're not hiding behind something that, that will prevent us from really doing and giving of our heart in something that we love doing, whether that could be work, volunteer work, or even as a soldier. Uh, mm-hmm. you, I think if all of that just disappeared, I think we'd be a heck of a lot more productive because we don't have to worry about, oh, am I going to get fired or is somebody going to beat me up or is somebody going to kill me, you know? We mm-hmm. don't have to worry about that. So, Well, Karen, we're going to take our first break here. And okay. when we come back, I want to talk about your time with the Maryland Defense Force. So we'll be right okay. back. This episode of Collections by Michelle Brown is brought to you in partnership with the Center for Peace Counseling and Holistic Healing Services, bringing balance to your mind, body, and spirit. For more information or to schedule an appointment, visit the Center at www.thecenterforpeacellc.com. Back here on Collections by Michelle Brown, and I am talking with Karen Kendra Holmes. Now, Karen, when did you join the Maryland Defense Force? And it's a voluntary military organization. So, again, I mean, you do this community service. I know a lot of people who are weekend warriors, but you volunteer to do this. When did you join it, and, and what made you decide to do that? Um, I've always been impressed with the military, and I was actually doing – um, a CERT rodeo. CERT stands for Community Emergency Response Team. And we were doing a rodeo against other counties in the state of Maryland. And I think there was one from Virginia, but they were up at this rodeo up in Virginia. And my team, um, we were literally kicking butt that day, uh, winning a lot of events. And it happened to be three uh, soldiers from the Maryland Defense Force who were there watching um, and so they came up to me afterwards and said, hey, we're getting ready to start a special thing within the uh, color guard unit, and would you be interested because it's going to be around the involvement of CERT, you know, uh, doing search and rescue. And I'm like, mm-hmm. hmm, that sounds very interesting to me. And so I went on and joined um, a little bit later, and things just really went really super well, uh, doing wilderness training, um, doing – the color guard uh, details that we were doing and stuff like that. And I just really got really involved. And so the following year, uh, which was in 2012, um, that's when I got the award for uh, NCO Soldier Year, which is my commission officer uh, mm-hmm. by the Maryland Defense Force and the Maryland State Guard Association. And then in 2012, I'm sorry, 2013, that's when I got this 
Soldier of the Year by the State Guard Association of the United States, which you said earlier is out of 24 states and 23,000 soldiers, uh, getting other awards from the Maryland Defense Force as far as accommodation awards, um, leadership award when I was doing initial entry training at the beginning. Um, it just kept blossoming. And, and so um, at that point, I got really hooked. I was like, yes, this is really cool. We're doing some great things. People loved us when we were doing the parades um, and special events like Reefs Across America. People just really, really gravitated to our, our unit, and I thought that we were really, really doing good. So um, I stuck it out, kept doing it, kept being involved in that, and um, it's it's been a great thing. I did retire from there um, in January of 2017. Um, mm-hmm. I retired from there, and now I'm with the United States Veterans Reserve Corps, which is a 5013C organization, and I'm a staff sergeant with them, and I also do uh, force force protection, and I'm a chaplain's assistant with them right now. So, uh, you know, I love now, it. You know, you know. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Now, you uh-huh. know, I told you, you because know, you were you were at an event this weekend. You're an attractive woman. I mean, you look really nice. But where I saw oh, pictures you. of you in your uniform, and you look fierce. Mm-hmm. I mean, you look like, you know, you are a soldier, <laughs> like you were ready to, to kick butt. I mean, you know, um, so... You know, and we know, I mean, because people often also talk about, okay, there is, when you think of military, people think of men, macho, mm-hmm. everything. Here you came into there, okay, I know you came in as Karen, and they saw mm-hmm. you. Did you find that you had to, like, do a double hurdle? That first, like, you found people look like, oh, here she is. Who's this old girly girl? What she think she going to do in here? That you had to show them that first you could do it, as a woman, but then, again, when you came out as a trans woman, did you feel another, like, hoop that they wanted you to go through? Uh, I think just because of my background as Tony, uh, being involved with the Park Police uh, Volunteer Association, I thought that that really built a lot of authority in me. And knowing all the steps and things that I did for Park Police, um, it carried over to me as Karen, um, just giving it my all and proving that I can do it. And I've always had in my mind for years, women could do anything. Um, mm-hmm. But I have to admit to one thing, when I, was, when I joined the Maryland Defense Force and after signing papers and getting sworn in and looking at the uh, later the regulations, it was telling us about, oh, uh, you couldn't wear makeup, just really basic stuff, and you couldn't wear colors on your nails. And I'm like saying to myself, let me out of here. <laughs> because, I, you know, I feel like I am this girly girl. And it's so funny because I take the uniform very serious. And when I'm in my uniform, I dress the part really strong to, to give authority figure that uh, I feel my soldiers, fellow soldiers, really respect and appreciate what I'm bringing to the table as a strong, not only leader, but a, a soldier as well. And um, it's been great. Even when we're off duty leaving uh, the base one time, uh, we're all off duty, and we come out onto the main road up in Baltimore, and there's an, an accident there. And I stopped, and two other soldiers had stopped behind me, and we get out, and I said, hey, 
let's uh, help with the traffic and everything, and I'll check mm-hmm. on the people to make sure they're okay. And everybody just jumped right on into the role, and it didn't have anything to do whether, you know, we were on duty or not. They, they listened to what I had to say, and uh, we ended up getting a accommodation award uh, the following month when we had drills. So it was pretty cool. So I've had some of my fellow soldiers when I was with the Maryland Defense Force uh, before they really knew um, who I was from the TV interview I did. Um, a lot of them said, you're not only a good friend, but you're a great soldier. And I, mm-hmm. that just hit me really good because of the fact that I said, that means I'm, I'm showing some good signs that, you know, whether we're transgender or not, you know, they see that this person is is a hard worker and wants to display leadership and support and that I'm behind them 100% like they're behind me 100%. We use the term battle buddy, and that's very important in the uh, military, and that makes a big difference uh, that we're there for each other. Did you ever have a moment, you know, when they were telling you that you how you had to wear your hair back and you couldn't wear anything, that you sort of laughed, that here was this person getting ready to put on this <laughs> uniform who had at one point in time, you know, thrown the clothes off the cliff and, and been so mm-hmm. happy to be, to be able to finally be able to embrace that. And here you are putting on this uniform, which, you know, and, and not being – and putting your cute side aside so – you know, did you sort of laugh at yourself, at the irony of it? I think more than anything, right at the beginning, um, when I joined the Maryland Defense Force, it was that I didn't get seen as being a transgender person. Um, and that was really scary because I love what I was doing, and I kept wanting to kind of hide behind myself. It's like when I won those awards for Soldier of the Year. Um, a lot of the female soldiers were coming up to me going, great job, you're doing it for us. And I said, inside, when they said that, I'm saying this inside myself, yes, that's true because that's who I really am in my mind, heart, and spirit. But I'm also doing it for the transgender community, which I couldn't really say anything yet. And I didn't say anything at all um, until the TV interview I did um, up in Baltimore when that was revealed after my surgery that, um, you know, everybody was okay. They said, great job. We loved your interview. And now people knew, but they still were supportive in, in doing what we had to do to be ready to do our job out there. You know, I thought it was great, too, how when you're talking about even at work, when you went in, you talked to the to, to one of your coworkers, you went and talked mm-hmm. to HR, and then they had this meeting, and it was, here you are. And you were mm-hmm. here, and it sounds like, I mean, and you've been at the same place, that they were very supportive and uh, of you and mm-hmm. making sure that everyone in the office and your surroundings was supportive of you. How important has that been to have an employer who not only heard but mm-hmm. then supported and helped you on your path? Well, I know, like, when I came back from the conference, I was, you know, in my mind, I was like, I got to do something because this is who I really am. Um, When I saw my good friend uh, who was an attorney at the agency, she talked to the director for civil rights and inclusiveness at that time, told her my story without telling my name, and she said that the uh, director was in tears. 
And she, mm. I said, okay, I'll meet with her now. And when I did, I'm telling her pretty much the same story, and I got the same response. And she said, well, we're going to go ahead and, and talk to the CEO and see where we need to go with this. And so she did, and the CEO at that time said, do whatever it takes to make this successful uh, and smooth, and she's got my full support. So um, that was what happened. Um, we had a three-year game, I'm sorry, a three-month game plan, and the director said, you can't tell anybody about this at all. We want this to be a training um, right after you leave for a few days. Um, we'll have a trainer come in and tell the story and how we want to support you and stuff like that. So it was like a covert operation on um, <laughs> October mm-hmm. October 4th because everybody across the agency, across the country, were told the same thing at the same time. So that way it never got leaked out or anything like that. So that was a pretty good thing. I was kind of nervous about that because um, at the time being on Facebook, I was using a, an alias name. Um, it was still Karen Kendra, but the last name at that time was Harris. And so when the training all happened and they knew I was going to be coming back um, in a few days, I had heard later that everybody at the agency pretty much were jumping on Facebook who, were, who had Facebook accounts were trying to look me up on Facebook. And I had changed my name from Harris to Holmes the day I went full-time on October 1st. And I said to myself, you know what? It didn't matter if they jumped on there or not. All they're going to find is all the good things I'm doing in the community and everything else. So I was very like, it was okay. They're not going to find any dirt, and they didn't. So that was the best thing that happened through that training. Um, And it's funny because out of that training, it was an awesome training uh, by my trainer. The only question that came up during the training at the end was about the bathroom issues. And I'm like, are Mm. you serious? That was all they were worried about? Well, my agency had that all uh, planned out, what we were going to do. There was, like, the bathrooms at my end of the building. Um, They were small bathrooms. Like, the women's bathroom had, like, two stalls. Uh, The men had one stall and one urinal. And so what they did was they ended up changing those to unisex bathrooms. Um, mm-hmm. and put a lock on the outside. And then there, on the other side of the building, which was right around the corner from the other one, was the big bathrooms. And I, obviously I was, they were told I could use any bathrooms, but I felt like, you know what, my office is right next to the unisex bathrooms. It's like, why would I want to go all the way around there when this bathroom mm-hmm. is right here? So, And I felt like I really wanted to give the women their privacy who knew me before and not, you know, get them mm-hmm. thinking bad things. So Yeah, you know, and like I said, you just wanted to go to the bathroom. You didn't want to bring a whole bunch exactly. of family into it. You know, <laughs> they needed to come to wherever they needed to come to on their own. You wanted mm-hmm. to be able to pee in peace, you know, right. but exactly. still be true to you. You also mm-hmm. seem to have had a really great medical team. I mean, it looked like they were really supportive and, you know, <laughs> like you couldn't have been in better hands. Right. I mean, when I first met my surgeon, um, we had a great talk, and I just felt so comfortable. And her husband, um, she had told me, was in the military um, too as well. Um, And I was like, wow, 
we're cool, you know. So after mm-hmm. our consultation, I told her, I said, look, I'm putting my life into your hands, and I want to go with you as my surgeon. And she said, she told me, like, we're going to go ahead and submit the information to your insurance company, and if it comes back that they uh, won't do it, we'll just appeal it and find out where um, it didn't pass it. Well, that was um, September 1st of uh, 2015, and 12 days later, um, it was accepted. No, no, no negative thing or anything like that. And I'm like, wow. And then um, I got news um, hours before my five-year anniversary. Here's the interesting part about the five-year anniversary. When I first transitioned October 1st, I really felt God place it on my heart to wait five years to do the surgery. So mm-hmm. I said, okay, to myself, and I said, the only way that that will jump sooner than five years, if I hit the lottery <laughs> <laughs> um, or, you know, just, you know, I'll just take money out of my TSP alone. And um, like I said, hours before, during that time anyway, before my uh, surgery date was given to me, President Obama had allowed the insurance companies to cover for transgender people in the uh, federal government. I'm like, wow. So things are still going good. And hours before my five-year anniversary, my um, surgeon called me up and said, we've got a surgery date for you, um, April 8th of 2016. So even though I waited five years and I got the news right before my five-year anniversary, it took five and a half years before I actually had the surgery. So it's mm-hmm. been it's been awesome, you know, to be 150 percent happier now. I'm like 250 percent happier now in life. Mm-hmm. Now you know you've won like like the first award for uh, Soldier of the Year, um, mm-hmm. and then you won another one. Okay, but in the criteria, what was the criteria for? the soldier of the year by the state guard association. And, you know, I mean, there's 24 states, 23,000 soldiers. So I know that they weren't going like, okay. So really being trans had nothing to do with it. There were criteria to be, I guess, nominated and to, to be awarded that. What were the criteria mm-hmm. that they were looking for in someone who would be the soldier of the year? You know, it's funny, even as of today, I've never even looked at the criteria. All I know is whatever I was doing then, um, Mm -hmm. I must have been doing something right. And I'm right now, because now with the United States Veterans Reserve Corps, I really want to get to that next level to be Soldier of the Year for the United States Veterans Reserve Corps. We have three regiments, uh, one in Maryland, one in Virginia, and one in Florida. So I really want to do something really great for where I'm at now um, and just continue to keep doing good. But I don't know what the criteria was. I, you know, all I know is it had to be something good to not only get it the year before as NCO soldier the year, but to get it out of the country. Um, mm-hmm. I must have did something right, <laughs> you know, to, catch, to get that. But basically, like you're saying, it's like you didn't know what the criteria was. You were, you mm-hmm. went, and you were doing your job. You were being exactly. the best soldier that you could be. 
I mean, and mm-hmm. and that's really and and based on that and looking at it, and I think, like you said, you know, you don't know what the criteria is. I'm sure that they did, but they looked at probably, you know, how are they doing the work that you're supposed to do? How are you performing? You know, how mm-hmm. are you implementing? You know, your orders, and you know that you were being the best soldier that you could be. So how? I mean, you you hear them talking like this. And so how does that hit you when you hear, you know, the commander-in-chief sort of saying that somehow or other that having a trans person in the military is going to hold things up or or cause problems when here Mm -hmm. you've been there just doing the work that you've done and been recognized not once but twice by two different groups as Soldier of the Year? Yeah. Uh, I, I, that's the puzzling part that really frustrates not only me uh, once being with the Maryland Force Defense Force, but other transgender people who are doing awesome things out there uh, for the military and not getting recognized to the fact that President Trump isn't seeing that as the picture. He thinks that, you know, we're a burdensome to the military um, and it's not true. You know, we're doing awesome things, and he needs to see that. We wish he would see that. We wish he would actually sit down with a lot of the soldiers who are doing awesome things out there and get to hear their story. You know, we join the military for a reason. We join because we want to serve our not only our state, our country, our community, um, and that's the important part. We're not trying to joined because of some surgery that may happen okay. down the road. And that's the important thing. I mean, I when I joined, I had no idea, you know, whether the uh, it was any type of medical stuff would be covered for me. All I know was I wanted to serve, and that was the important thing, whether they were going to cover it for this or that. I just didn't know anything about that. But what was important was I paid for it myself. I didn't count on um the military doing anything at that time. And, you know, and I'm sure that if you looked at, you know, you don't know what the criteria is, but I'm sure that if you saw, they said, this is who's soldier of the year, nowhere in there it was like, oh, yeah, and they cost us, you know, $10,000 to to have their, you know, uh, tonsils out and $20,000 for for gender reassignment and, you know, $100,000 for a kidney transplant, that's not a part of it. It's about Mm -mm. what you did. You were there Mm -hmm. doing your job and you were serving, and nowhere in doing your job and serving did your surgery or anything else play a role. No, not at all. And, you know, I feel that a lot of transgender people, when they join, they join because maybe their their father, or their uncle, are family members of the military, and they wanted to keep that tradition going. Um, mm-hmm. They also, you know, had probably in their head too. Like I said, they joined because they wanted to serve their country, um, and that's mm-hmm. the important thing. And I think that's first and foremost. I mean, let's say a transgender person decides that they want to join, um, and then they get sent over to Iraq, thinking that they might get the surgery, but they don't get the, they wouldn't be qualified to get the surgery for at least a couple of years. But they go over to Iraq or something, and within six months or something, they get killed. Well, you know, 
that's a chance that they take joining to serve our country is that this possibility they may be killed, you know? Mm-hmm. So it's not mm-hmm. anything to do with, oh, I'm going to do it just for, for surgery. Yeah, because, I, I mean, it doesn't, it, it's not a, a, you know, it's not a let's make a deal. Okay, I'm going to exactly. sign on the line and go if you, well, after I get everything done. No, like you said, you sign up to go and serve and do, mm-hmm. and, you know, I mean, that's just like, it's just so crazy, you know, to see that. Now, you're out there and you're talking to, first of all, you know, other veterans who are doing that. And if you see someone and they're going like, what would you tell them? It's like, you know, yes, still, you want to do this, pursue your dream. You know, you want to be part of a military. There are other things like you did. But uh, the Maryland Defense Forces, a volunteer military organization, you can go and do that. Would you discourage if someone came to you and who was a young trans person and said, you know what, I really feel I want to do this, would you discourage them from it? You mean joining the military to just have mm-hmm. the surgery? Uh, no. I, you know, first I would just say, you know, what's in your heart? That's what you go with. It's funny, I was up in... Um, Marlboro, Massachusetts, this past weekend, speaking on a panel there. And while I was there, um, afterward, me and a, a fellow soldier, we were talking afterward, and um, we said, you know what, to settle the dust, I think, let's just say you join the military and you have to serve at least three years or five years, you know, whatever it takes. And then after that, you can go ahead and we'll pay for the surgery. Give them a goal and not say, no, you can't have it at all. No, we don't want you. But this way you know they're joining for a reason, not for um, just for the surgery. And I kind of hear that, but by the same Mm -hmm. token, you know, like you said, that's not why you're joining, you know. Right. That's not why, you Mm -hmm. know, later on if it's available, fine, it's not why you're joining and you know if somebody joined and they needed uh, a heart transplant you know they're not uh, while they're in service you know they just get it you know it's, it's benefits that are available that's not mm-hmm. why you join I don't think that you know you didn't join to say what am I going to get out of this you know you right. joined what you got out of it was your longing your continued service to your community. Right. And, you know, um, that's so funny that you say it like that because I, I feel like whenever I do volunteer work, I do it because I want to give. I'm not looking for anything in return. Um, yes, I've gotten acknowledged for it, but if that's not the reason I'm doing it. Um, I've said before at meetings and stuff like that and conferences, I feel like me volunteering, I feel like I've been infected by a virus that's running mm. through my body and my bloodstream. And because that virus or that's running through my bloodstream is called volunteering. And that's what's making me go out there and do what I do for people, not anything in return. Mm. So you did a TEDx talk. Um, how mm-hmm. did that come about? And I know it's 40 years and wandering <laughs> no more. Okay, and it's one thing, you know, around your coworkers and your family, uh-huh. but you did a TEDx talk, which is now here on YouTube, for forever for the world to see. 
what made you, how did you get involved in doing a TEDx talk, and why did you feel it was important that you took that platform and told your story? Um, it's so funny because I was up in New Jersey um, volunteering for a transgender group that tailors for mostly youth, and I was helping out at the conference. Well, anyway, that night at the dinner table, uh, me and the director that was putting on the conference, um, we were sitting there talking, and I told him a little bit about my past and who I was as a transgender person. And he said to me, he goes, wow, you need to do a TED Talk, um, you know, with TEDx here in, in New Jersey. And I said, he asked me, Would you, have you ever thought about doing I said, not really, but it sounds interesting. And so while we're talking there, he's already texting the director, one of the directors at TEDx Ashbury Park, New Jersey. And um, so it, was, it started running through my head a little bit while we were talking. But then later, um, I just happened to be in one of the workshops, uh, I think it was like the next day, and uh, was, my surgeon was there talking about the surgery. And so I just happened to go there because so, I wanted to not only see her, but, you know, support what she's talking about. And I got up and I was telling the group what kind of surgeon my surgeon was, you know, and that she's awesome. Her bed manners is, is great. And, um, um, and it just kept going and going about what, you know, she was all about. And so a little bit later that day, a gentleman walked up to me and goes, are you Karen Holmes? And I go, yeah. I got a text message from a guy that you were talking with um, doing dinner, and I work, you know, as one of the directors uh, for TEDx Ashbury Park, and you've got so much passion. We want you to, you know, put in an application and see where it goes. Well, the yeah. TEDx that I did last year, the theme was on passion, and that's what he saw me doing is so much passion. So um, I put my application in. My application got accepted, and they asked me to come in and do a live audition, or I could send in a videotape of it. And so I said to myself, I said, well, I think being in front doing a live audition is going to be the better choice to do because they get to see you right then. So... I'm glad I made the right choice then because even though it's like a three-and-a-half-hour drive to uh, Ashbury Park, New Jersey, um, they got to see, you know, my talk live. And I was there and I saw so many other good people that night because there was like 19 of us that night, plus people that probably sent in their videos too. And I'm like, wow, these are some really good people, but I don't know. At least I gave it my best, but I felt like I knocked it out of the park. Mm. And next thing I know, I got an uh, email from TEDx Ashbury Park and said, we'd like you to come in and do the live show. And I was like, oh, I can't believe it, you know. <laughs> and I was so happy. And so I um, got a coach assigned to me, and everything went really good. He was very pleased. And then I did my uh, speech before eight other coaches. And then the following week, I got a new coach assigned to me, and um, he says, we're going to make a one little change. And I'm like, two weeks before my, <laughs> you know, my talk. And I was like really nervous, but I said, okay. <laughs> and mm -hmm. so the next day, 
we did a, a Skype call, and he told me, he says, I can't believe you're the first person I've made changes to to somebody's speech that just killed it. I mean, you just really knocked it out of the park. And I was like, Whew, that was close. <laughs> so mm-hmm. um, he says, I'm going to turn you over to another coach. I've got you up to like, you know, 95% ready and good. But this next person that I'm going to assign you to is going to get you to 110. So I got another coach, and we had like a couple of talks. And the only thing is she just told me to do was um, make it a little more personal about Tony, and everything is going to be great. And so um, I did that. So what was the, next the, what was the change he wanted? Um, in the past, what I've always done is, you know, said, you know, um, my name is Karen. I work for the federal government. Um, I do volunteer work with, uh, you know, the Red Cross, cert, and I also do uh, military. And, oh, by the way, I'm transgender. That was how I did it before the past, which was uh-huh. good. But what he wanted me to do was talk about Tony and his life first and uh-huh. then later bring in Karen. And so I've, that's how I do it now. Uh-huh. So... Um, I went up to uh, Ashbury Park for my talk, and people kept asking me, was I nervous? And I said, not really, because right now I'm just, you know, just really drained um, because I've put a lot of effort and training into doing this talk for, you know, since January when I went to do the audition and to get things changed two weeks before I was actually going to talk. It was nervousing. Um, but I, I put a lot of effort to it, um, concentrating on changing my speech the way they wanted. Because in the past, whenever I've spoken at conferences or events uh, like Transgender Day of Remembrance, I play off the crowd. I may work on a speech for a week or two weeks, depending on how much time I have to talk. But if I feel something, you know, that's prompting me, like, one particular uh, time I did for Transgender Day of Remembrance, I've actually changed like anywhere from 40 to 60% of my my speech. But this one particular night, I was sitting in the office audience waiting to go up um, after a couple of other speakers. And I looked up and I'm looking at these banners that are hanging down over the, the altar. And I just kept looking at the banners, which was faith, love, and hope. And I would concentrate back on listening to the speakers, and then I would look back up at the banners. And then I went up to do my speech, opened my book up, read two sentences, threw the book off to the side and said, mm. I'm going off of these three banners up here. And it it just blew people away. And um, it really went well. I mean, because, you know, of course, I've watched, I've watched your, your TED Talk. And, mm-hmm. I mean... It's amazing to me that you you uh, all that time because you did you look very it was very personable. Um, you told the story. I mean, you're like you just sort of like really pulled people in, told the story, and made that transition from Tony to to Karen. I mean, mm-hmm. so smoothly. I mean, and now you tell me how long you worked at it. I'm like, <laughs> wow. You know? but it does. I mean, it's like you telling your story. I mean, it really mm-hmm. is. is it's amazing. Uh, do you get? Do you still hear from people who have watched it and sort of say, you know, because I know I have some trans friends who don't want to talk about 
their other life. Uh, right. And are, do you find people who it has helped them? Because, you know, you don't hate Tony. You know, I, mm-hmm. and I've heard, I've had friends who say, oh, I, I don't want to talk about that. I hate it. I never use that name. But you don't hate mm-hmm. Tony. You give Tony credit where credit's due. But, mm-hmm. you know, it was a stepping stone to Karen. And now this is Karen now. Uh, but you find people call and, I mean, have you tried people talk to and say, like, it helped them, you know, accept themselves, be like what you said. It's a book. Two pictures on a different, you know, <laughs> two different pic- cover on pictures on the cover. Have you? Yeah, have basically. You yeah, I've helped a lot of people, um, both who are transgender, and the other side, I've helped people understand who we are. Um, and going back to um, this book, uh, my mom wrote a uh, a beautiful letter to a best friend of hers and husband, and in that letter. She had mentioned that you know about me being a, a a book, and inside that book is the story of my life. And just because the cover changed, which is from Tony to Karen, the story inside still remains the same. And that's mm-hmm. what you know I project out. So talking about Tony to, it was tough because I think uh, even though I made that great change for one of my coaches. You know, a couple of times I stumbled over uh, getting ready to use the wrong pronoun or having a tough time saying the word Tony. You know, it wasn't that I didn't want to or try, but I never used that in any of my speeches to talk about Tony the way I did being intimate about what and who Tony was all about before I transitioned. Mm Mm-hmm. That's nice. Your mother wrote wrote on my letter. She she was gonna let them know, huh? <laughs> so, um, I mean, yeah. And it sounds like you know, like that you have a really strong family connection. Your family supports you. They're right there for you. Um, mm-hmm. As you're you're being more, you know, you're doing. You've got videos out here. You're doing this and that and everything. Um, what do they tell you? Do they do they critique you? Do they say do they say oh you know you should tell more about this and and you did that and oh that looks good but that you know don't do that one anymore. Do they critique you? Do they support you? Do they do they have watch watch parties where Karen's gonna be on <laughs> on this program? You know everybody come over and watch it. Be sure you have it on your DVR. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've never had any critiquing about any of my talks that uh, any of my family members have seen. Um, and it's funny, I, I was, the only party I was going to do, which I didn't do, was my TED Talk, because um, mm-hmm. I, I really wanted to do that because one of my cousins said, we should do that, you know, when it comes out, have a TED Talk. I actually had my old lieutenant with Park Police um, come over. He personally did not want to see it for about a month until he came over and sat down and watched it with me. And I just felt like, wow, that's so personal to me because of the fact he wanted to take the time and see it with me. Uh, my my family members all have been very, very supportive. I've only got one uncle that really hasn't accepted who I am and has really talked about to my other cousins, you know, to... to try to hate me or, or change mm. not like me. 
and which is really sad and hurtful because I feel like everything I've done um, since I transitioned has not hurt the family at all. I'm not this devious person out there. I feel like it's something I am not bringing shame to my family. Um, they all like what I've done, and they're all supportive. My mom, um, she's not only been supportive, but she's at this point for a few years now, she's been very proud of me uh, for what mm. I've done. So, mm-hmm. And that's been great. She comes to a lot of my speeches or events that I go to, um, and I try to include her. Some of them it's like, yeah, you've already been at that one, Mom. It's going to be pretty much the same. <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> you know? uh-huh. uh, because some uh, the places I've spoken at has been to uh, Montgomery County Police and Fire um uh, with Prince George's County Police Department, Baltimore County's um, um, hostage negotiation team, uh, medical uh, students like uh, GW Nursing School, uh, University of Maryland Medical Center out of Baltimore. I've done five years in a row speaking to their first and second year medical students. And this past uh, January, before I could even get out the door, they're saying, we want you to come back again next year. Um, mm-hmm. universities I've spoken with um, oh yeah Kaiser Permanente I did four events with them so far uh, VA Medical Center I've done Fort Detrick two years in a row and Fort Meade uh, last year so people are like they like they're they're changing their point of view to see who we are they're not you know oh, we don't want you here to talk about this during Pride Month or any other thing, um, mm-hmm. they're really being been supportive, and it's been it's been an awesome feeling. Mm-hmm. Okay, and we're going to take our second break, and then okay. we're going to talk about your your new chapter in your life. So we'll be right <laughs> back. Collections by Michelle Brown airs every Thursday at 7 p.m. You can subscribe now and listen to the podcast on Blog Talk Radio, iTunes, Stitcher, or SoundCloud. Be sure to like the Collections by Michelle Brown Facebook page and mark your calendar so you never miss an episode. back here on Collections by Michelle Brown with my guest, guest Karen Kendra Holmes. So, Karen, you retired. You retired from the Defense Force? Yes, the Maryland Defense Force. Okay. And now, so, did they have a party for you? I mean, I mean, you've been there, you've been <laughs> their rock star, you know, soldier of the year, two years. I mean, not only locally, but then nationally. I mean, was that hard to do that leaving there? Uh, yes, because I was leaving behind a lot of uh, good friends uh, and soldiers that I served with. Uh, but my commander, who was uh, in charge of the chaplain's unit, 
uh, and I was his chaplain's assistant, had went and started, uh, not started, but went uh, over to the D.C. military reserves and had been wanting me to come over there, so I came over, but then we ended up changing later uh, to the name of the United States Veterans Reserve Corps. And um, when I went over to the D.C. military reserves, he was really happy that I came over um, as his chaplain's assistant. And um, his wife happened to be, at that time, one of the colonels, and they were like, really kind of like, well, you should be in our, my group. And he would go, no, over in the chaplain's you know, unit and stuff. So it was like that battle between husband and wife, you know. Uh, but it was pretty cool to, you know, know that they wanted me to be a part of their group. And uh, it was it was nice to be able to to say, well, you know, I'll do both if I can do both. But my mm-hmm. primary unit was going to be the chaplain's unit, and that's that's what I did. So what, as part of the chaplain's unit, what exactly do you do? Um, well, I did do, um, um, and actually that was with the United States Veterans Reserve Corps because I'm still a chaplain's assistant. I got to actually uh, give a message to the soldiers, which was really great. Um, it was my first time doing that, and it was so funny because the chaplain, he was sitting in the audience, you know, as well, and some of the uh, other soldiers, like the colonels, uh, they were seeing, they were watching the chaplain, you know, as I was giving the, the speech. And they said, oh, he looked like a proud papa up there watching you give the oh, sermon, you uh-huh. know. And uh-huh. I thought that was really cool. And he actually wanted me to do another one, but it was like I got the notice about wanting to do it like a couple of days. And I'm like, no, I'll wait, you know, because I didn't really uh-huh. want to uh, – I wanted to prepare at least for a week, you know, um, to do it on. And um, I just didn't feel like it, it would have given much justice to talk about something two days before. So. Now, you know, I know you've done panels. You did a TEDx. Um, mm-hmm. Had you, I mean, was, is public speaking something that you've often done or that you felt always felt comfortable doing? Um, I used to, like, when I'm just a when I was with another department, I used to do trainings and stuff like that for work. Um, but never really, that's, I don't really call that public speaking, but I guess you could, you know, but it was just training. Um, but when I first transitioned and I, the second year I went to the Philadelphia Trans Health Conference, there was one lady in there who we kind of look at as the, the grandmother of all transgender people. After I got up and talked about a little bit of my history and how things had been going for me, she said, you need to start speaking in public, you know, about what's going on with your life. And I'm like, "Mm, I don't know about all that, you know. Um, But in 2012, at the Transgender Day of Remembrance, uh, the first one Montgomery County had, um, I actually did speak, and that was my very first one in 2012 of November, and after that, um, it's just gotten a little bit more and a little bit more. And last year, I had like 34 appearances, and the year mm-hmm. before was like 26, so I'm hoping that it's going to be really good for 2019, that I'll be doing a lot more, because I feel like, well, it's so funny, because some people come up to me and they go, well, now that you're a woman, you know, you've had the surgery and everything, why do you still 
advocate for the community. And I said, my motto has always been never forget where you come from. And I want to be able to help the next person um, with their transition if that's what they really want to do, like somebody help me. So that's why. You know, I thought one of the things when you did the Sisters for Fitness to do, that you were real mm-hmm. clear, like she was asking you all, you know, she was trying to talk to you sexuality. And you said, you know, that being, mm. it wasn't about who you went to bed with, but who got into the bed. And yeah, it was basically just like, what, I mean, Yeah, I was going to say, was, basically was, what I was going to say was, is being gay, lesbian, or bisexual is who you go to bed with, but being transgender is who we go to bed as. And, you know, and, and that is, I, uh, I liked how you said that because when people, you know, were all part of that big tent, you know, the LGBTQIA, mm-hmm. you know, but there is a, like you said, that's different. I mean, and, mm-hmm. and it's sort of like, and often you have people, when they're talking to those of us under the, under the big tent, you want to, they immediately want to go into, well, what are you doing in bed? And you, like, mm-hmm. nicely, you know, didn't go there. It was like, you know, right. this is what it is. And yeah, I think that that was, that's really also was a very teachable moment for people who are curious or just want mm-hmm. to go there. It was very teachable the way that you did that. I, it's so funny because I do get that question asked a little bit later after I say, I'm opening the floor for questions, and please feel free to ask mm-hmm. me anything. And I know that's going to be a question that's always asked. Um, and sometimes I'll beat them to the punch. I go, I know you're probably wondering, but I, you know, but you have to understand one thing. Being transgender has nothing to do with sexuality. It's who we are in our mind, heart, and spirit. A five, six, and seven-year-old kid, they don't know anything about sex. All they know mm-hmm. is, I'm a boy, I'm a girl. And they, that's who they are. They know that. Um, and so I tell them, yes, I may transition from a man to a woman, but the thing is, which for me, I just basically took a break from any type of relationship for like three years because I really wanted to concentrate on me. And then after that point that I did, now I'm ready for a relationship and – I want to be able to give my my heart to somebody. And mm-hmm. right now that hasn't happened, and I'm not sure <laughs> why. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I've basically I've said to myself, I, I think God's got a plan for me, and it's going to be down the path he wants. And if he's ready for me to have a relationship because I've, I've finished doing what he wants me to do, which is speaking or helping other people, I'm sure he'll provide somebody for me then. Do you talk to many parents? I mean, I had a guest on a couple of weeks ago who, who said that she knew at six. And fortunately, her mother was somebody who, who heard. I know that when you heard, you know, you went through, I believe you ended up on lithium. You know, you said, no, this is not mm-hmm. good. But do you talk to many parents and do you, Share that with them, that to drag your kid out to the psychiatrist and get them on lithium, you know, isn't the answer. Do you, so That's a very tough thing because the thing is if your child is, is 
that way, feeling that you're a boy or girl. The thing is just to seek if you want to get them to a, uh, a doctor, you know, is to get them to somebody who's actually practicing with transgender people, not take it to somebody like I went to who knew nothing about transgender um, to understand who we are and not put me on lithium and saying that, oh, you've got multiple personalities, you know, and it's like, hello, you know, and (laughs) and thinking I was because of what I didn't know, um, eventually I was able to wean myself off, but I still didn't know anything about, you know, somebody being transgender. Mm -hmm. But I do, I have, I was just going to say I do, I have talked to some people like with PFLAG, um, and mm-hmm. the parents there actually, I got it's funny. I got a um, message a week ago saying that I saw them at a P flag meeting um, up in um, Virginia, and they said that their child came out to them as being transgender. And my talk that that evening um, really helped them to understand what their child was mm-hmm. going through. And I'm like, that's awesome to hear, you know, somebody being helped that way too as well. I would like to do more with um, talking with, you know, elementary and high school uh, parents, uh, you know, children um, to help them and even the kids because, you know, we've got kids out there that are are bullying transgender kids because of the fact of who they really are. So I think that's a problem. But I think we need to also start with the parents and work it work it down because if the parents can talk to their kids, hey, when you go to school, you may meet a child that's transgender. You need to, you know, do X, Y, Z. Don't bully them and all that kind of stuff. And the school um, authorities, they need to take hold and hear what they can do in their schools to help not, you know, let it slide or get by without helping that child out. And that's a problem, too, that a lot of them face. Do you find, like, as you go along, are the conversations changing? I mean, do you find that people are trying to to be uh, find ways to be more inclusive, more helping of their kids? And you know, we have, we have so many great role models. You know, you we've got you, but we've also got trans people who are running for and getting elected. I mean, when you look mm-hmm. at I mean, you know, my friend Andrea Jenkins, I mean, you know, it's like I, when I met her, she was a poet. Now, you know, she's, you know, how she was elected overwhelmingly. We've got other people who are trans who are getting elected. We've got actors and actresses who are coming out as trans. And, and you're seeing a lot of great role Hello. models. So do you find that, is that helping as you go out um Michelle? First of all, I give where people want more people are asking for you to come in and talk about it. I mean, we've got yeah, you. I mean, soldier of the year twice. You know, do you find that that this visibility really is helping and can help people learn more and and understand and like that parent be able to help their trans child better? Um, are you getting? Do you, do you think that that's it? That now. The doors are open where people want to hear about you and about your life, not just like the trans 101 that used to be the standard talk, but now they want Mm -hmm. to hear more about who you are and what you're doing. 
I think so. Uh, the nice thing about it is one particular uh, major with Prince George's County Police Department, me and her have kind of teamed up, and it's like a tag team. So mm-hmm. she will talk about the Transgender 101, basically, and then I come up and talk about the story behind it. And uh, every time we've done this this tag team thing, it's like you could hear a pin drop when I get up and talk. Mm-hmm. And with the police department for Prince George's, when I did that one, um, the questions were like really, I felt like off the wall, but they were interesting questions, you know, because I guess the officers just didn't know. Um, and actually, this was, a, uh, this was an academy class for them. And so after when I got up and talked, I went back to my seat, which was by the door, and then they took a break. And as they were coming out the door, they were stopping, and I thought they were just going to shake my hand. They were giving me hugs going out the door. Mm -hmm. Um, And I actually got an email from one of the other uh, cadets that evening saying that she really enjoyed the the story and stuff like that. And it just, I was like, wow, that's awesome that, you know, I wasn't expecting hugs, but I got them from every one of them that were heading out the door. So I think, you know, once people hear the story, um, I think it's really important because we're out there living our life 24-7. I thank the people that are out there who are strong advocates for us and then people who are doctors or nurses talking about this, but I think what's going to really hit home and knock it out of the park is to actually have a transgender person there also speaking right after they may do their talk because I think that's going to bring the message home that they're like, wow, I'm actually seeing somebody who is transgender, who is actually doing what needs to be done um, and living the life that they need to live. Well, it's like uh, like we, I, I, I had read that you said that we're not different and we need to continuously express how we're more alike than not. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. you know, that seems to be your message. How can people, if they would like to have you come to their organization, um, learn more about you? I know you have a website. How do they reach you, and, and can you give them your website? Yes, they can reach me on my website, which is KK Holmes, so K-K-H-O-L-M-E-S dot com, and they can request to uh, write there for me to call or request for me to come out. Um, I do have a, a tab on there that says upcoming events and appearances, so you, they can go on there. They can see the ones I've done, and they can also see, oh, my calendar's clear, and they can go ahead and request for me to come out. My phone number, if they want, they can call mm-hmm. me. Um, is 301-395-4214, or they can email me um, at kkhomes at kkhomes.com. And, um, yeah, and we can just work things out from there. Yeah. Be nice to everybody because you never know who you're sitting beside on a bus, train, or in the store you may meet. Um, Just to put a little emphasis at the end of – of the show, I was actually sitting in an NTB getting my tires done, and there was a gentleman who was sitting right next to me, and there was a TV show that came on. I don't want to mention TV show or who it was, but 
the guy actually went off saying, is that a dude? Is that a guy dressed up in a women's clothes? And mm-hmm. I looked at him and I said, I'm transgender. And he just turned white, <laughs> you know. Mm. Um, he was just really shocked. And then, you know, other people at other places, you know, they'll make comments or whatever. And then I just say, um, I'm transgender. And they're here again. I get the same reaction. They're shocked. So if you hear somebody making fun of somebody out there or making comments and it's in your work or place or in your presence, don't let people get away with that. Please say, hey, that's a human being out there. Let's be nice to that person. I have a friend who's transgender, and I want you to know they're great people out there. So just don't sit there and let people get abused by some people that who just don't really understand. I don't want to say they're ignorant. I just want to say they just don't understand. You know, often people ask, what can someone do as an ally? And that mm-hmm. right there to me is so important. You know, it's not funny. Silence is not an option. To snicker and, or giggle uncomfortably, to get up and just walk out the room is not mm-hmm. enough. We have to, all of us, open our mouths and say, you know, you're talking about a human being just like mm-hmm. me, just like you, and what you're saying is just wrong. And, you know, like right. you said, every day a child is born who's transgender, and mm-hmm. tomorrow it could be their child. It could be their grandchild. They need to open their eyes and open their hearts. Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, I, I, out of my eight-plus years, eight-and-a-half years of being who I am, I only had two bad incidents uh, that came up. One was a direct neighbor of mine who would say, who said one time to me, um, reason I don't talk to you that much is because you're a bad influence. And I'm like saying to myself, a bad influence to who? Haven't you seen me in my uniform? Haven't you seen mm-hmm. the big giant Red Cross truck sitting out front? And you're going to say I'm a bad influence? You know, and then it's like, I can't understand that. And then somebody who I thought was a good friend uh, just happened to be not a good friend. And it hurt because I thought me and her were having a good connection uh, when we first met and for a few months after that. So, you know, just be nice and kind to everybody. That's all I say. Mm-hmm. Yes. And I actually, well, and on the, and actually on the neighbor, I actually told her, I said, what if, one of your children were trans, and she just absolutely went ballistic, like it would, could never happen, but you never know. <laughs> yeah, never hey, know. You, know, you, you know what, and, again, you know, and that's not in your hands. You know, when you, mm-hmm. when you give birth, you want it to be a healthy child, and if you mm-hmm. love your child, you know, you're not supposed to have boundaries, you know. I mean, right. you love them, and like I said, a gay child, a trans child, a child that's different is born every day. And we have to love our children and mm-hmm. help them be their best selves. I mean, do you want them to be alive and living, or do you want that child that you brought into this world dead because they committed suicide? You know, mm-hmm. sit and talk with us because there's an estimate of 1.4 million transgender Americans out there in this world this country and that means each and every one of us has a different story we're 
we're almost similar to our stories, but we are different. It's like DNA. You know, there's a slight difference, but our story is going to help somebody out there who's struggling and can't survive without knowing the truth about themselves. Okay, again, Karen, I want to thank you. I thank you for your service and all that you do, and you just keep on doing you. (laughs) (laughs) I am. I appreciate it, and thank you much for having me on your show. I want to thank today's guest, transgender activist Karen Kendra Holmes. You can find her TED Talk, 40 Years and Wandering No More, along with other videos of her speaking on YouTube. To learn more about her life of service, including her recognition as Soldier of the Year in 2012 and 2013, visit her website at www.kkholmes.com. You can listen to this or past episodes of the show on SoundCloud, iTunes, Stitcher, or Blog Talk Radio. Be sure and follow Collections by Michelle Brown Blog Radio on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And let us know if you have a suggestion for a guest or topic for a future show. Join us next week when I'll introduce you to another amazing individual living between the lines, standing boldly in the crosshairs of their intersectionality, and creating change right here on Collections by Michelle Brown. Thank you for listening.